There is a higher throne than all this world has known, where from every tongue will one day come, before the sun will stand, made faultless through the Lamb, believing hearts find promised grace, salvation comes. These are the words of the song that we have heard during the offertory, a song that we are learning, we're seeking to learn to introduce to you, our congregation. We pray that we'll be able to sing in one of the next few Sundays. Let me ask you this morning, is there anything worse than being blind? Yes. And you may find a few things that could be worse than than being blind. One of them is to have eyes and yet not see. And even worse, to think that you see but not to see at all. This morning, I invite you to open Scripture to the book of John. We'll be reading in chapter 9. And if you're using the Bible provided in, in the chair in front of you, you may find this passage on page number 930. For those of you who are visiting us this morning, we are reading, I'm reading from the New International Version, 1984. John chapter 9, the word of the Lord for us this morning is the following. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. By the way, this word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open? They demanded. He replied, The man. They call Jesus, made some mud, and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the the Pharisees a man who had been blind. Now, the day on which Jesus had made mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I, was wa- and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not, know, he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So, 
they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He is a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know that he's our son, the parents answered. And we know that he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. Side note. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was a Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, He's of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, Whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't even know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to godly, to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a, bl- of a man born, born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were there with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. This was our, our, the Lord.
the word of the Lord for our hearts this morning. Let's ask the Lord to open our eyes to see his teaching and truth. Would you bow with me in a prayer? Father, this morning we ask that you would once again open the eyes of our hearts to see ourselves as we truly are and to see you as you have revealed yourself to us. We pray that you would do this to us through your Holy Spirit and for the glory of Christ. Amen. Well, if you've not been with us from the beginning of this series, I want to remind you that the purpose of the miracles in John's Gospel is to show us not just the power of Jesus, but to show us the identity of Jesus, to show us who He is. These miracles are identity markers of who Jesus is. And this is true also of this specific miracle of healing a blind man. The purpose of this miracle in John chapter 9 is not simply to show us that Jesus has the power to, to heal blind people. The purpose of this miracle is to show that He is the light of the world and to show us how deep His light can penetrate. In chapter 8, two weeks ago, we have seen that Jesus is the light of the world. He claimed that clearly, explicitly. But now in chapter 9, this light will become a little more personal. How deep can His light penetrate? This miracle is not just simply about the healing of a blind man, but about the healing of another, deeper blindness. In John 9, God is presenting us with two kinds of blindness, physical blindness and spiritual blindness. And actually, physical blindness and the cure Jesus provided for it is just a segue, is just an introduction to tell us about the reality of spiritual blindness. How deep, how powerful is the light of Christ? If He is the light of the world, how powerful is that light? Is that light? It's so powerful that it can heal even blindness. Now, if you're not convinced that chapter 9 is ultimately about spiritual blindness, look with me at how this whole chapter ends. I hope you keep your Bibles open. For those of you who are visiting us, we like to look back to the Scripture occasionally to make sure that what we say, what you hear, is from this book. But look with me to verse 39, how this chapter ends. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who will see will become blind. Now some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. These verses point beyond a shadow of a doubt that this miracle in chapter 9 and the dialogues that followed it are aimed at healing not simply physical blindness, but spiritual blindness as well. The reason why we should be interested in the theme of spiritual blindness this morning is because those who have it, to them, their guilt before God remains on them no matter how religious they are. Friends, 
this is what the good news of the gospel of salvation offers us. It tells us that Christ came to pay the penalty of our sins so that the guilt of our rebellion against God and the penalty, the unpayable debt that followed because of our rebellion would no longer be counted on our tab because it was counted on Christ's tab in His death on the cross for us. And likewise, His perfection was counted on our tab even though we did nothing to deserve that perfection. When we believe this news about Christ, and when we turn from our rebellion, God will not count our sins against us. This is a great news of the gospel. But spiritual blindness walks past the gospel news and he can't even see it. Spiritual blindness leaves our guilt and our debt on our tab. And this is how chapter 9 ends. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Therefore, the title of my sermon this morning is When Seeing is a Liability. When Seeing is a Liability. I'd like for us to look at, at the surprising nature of spiritual blindness. Then I would like for us to look at the surprising form of spiritual blindness. And finally, the surprising cure for spiritual blindness. The surprising nature of spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness has two key characteristics, and this chapter shows it to us. Notice that some of the Pharisees were shocked to hear that they too were blind. Did you, did you catch that? Now, to see these Pharisees surprised about their blindness tells us something incredibly crucial and utterly horrible about the nature of spiritual blindness. And here it is. Spiritual blindness makes people blind to their own blindness. Spiritual blindness makes people blind to their own blindness. Friends, those who suffer from physical blindness, they know. They know they cannot see. They know they're blind. But spiritual blindness is not evident to us, and that's what makes it so hard for us to spot it by ourselves. That's why it's so horrible. We need someone else to reveal it to us. We cannot diagnose it on ourselves. Spiritual blindness is, makes us blind to our own blindness. The second, and the worst part of it, is that spiritual blindness gives confidence to its patients that they actually see. When in reality, they don't. Spiritual blindness not only makes us blind to our blindness, but it gives us confidence that we actually see. Now, how do we know this? Look with me to verse 41. If you were blind, you would, see, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim, you can see. Your guilt remains. In other words, Jesus is in effect saying, if you are lacking only your ability to see, that would not be a sin. And it would not stand in the way of you being healed. But these Pharisees, 
they think they can see. They think that they do not need another light, neither physically nor spiritually. So they do not need anyone to save them from their darkness. This being the case, their sin remains. I love what one Dutch theologian said about this. The state in which a person exists in this world is certainly one of sin. But it is not sin that cuts a person off from what Jesus wants to give. It's the illusion that one can manage without Jesus as the light of the world. That is why sin remains. In other words, friends, if sin does not become an object of God's forgiveness, it remains the object of God's judgment. But how will it become an object of God's forgiveness unless we see it for what it is and acknowledge it and confess it? Now, in order for us to see sin for what it is, we need the light of Christ to shine brightly on it. We need the light of Christ to shine brightly on the darkness of our hearts, on the darkness of our minds. Because sin, dear friends, here's a big news. Sin has corrupted our ability to see, to see God and to see ourselves as we truly are. And this is a primary, the surprising nature the primary surprising nature of spiritual blindness and why it's so dangerous. It makes us blind to our own blindness and it gives us confidence that we actually see when in reality we don't. That's why spiritual blindness, it's worse than physical blindness. But the second point I'd like for us to look at, the surprising form of spiritual blindness. We looked at the surprising nature Let's look at the surprising form of spiritual blindness. Now, we know how physical blindness manifests itself. It did in verse 1. As he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. It was pretty clear he was not a man who had become blind due to an accident or illness. This man never had a chance to see anything in this world. He did not know what trees look like. He did not know what human faces look like. He did not know what red or blue or green looks like. He was blind from birth. You may say, wow, to be deprived of so much beauty of what God had created and not even have a chance to, to, to see it. You can only imagine it based on what you touch. But you, you can't see. You can't see what this world looks like. Well, friends, it's not a coincidence that this man Jesus healed physically was blind from birth. Since just this miracle is a, an introduction for Jesus to teach us about our spiritual blindness, it's not a coincidence that this man was blind from birth. It's a hint that our spiritual blindness has been on us since birth. And we need the grace of God, we need the light of Christ to to shine bright on us. Now, how does this blindness take form? How? None of us, when we're born, we don't think of ourselves as spiritually blind. How does this blindness look? Well, first of all, it looks in the following way. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, the God of this age 
has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For God, who has said, let light shine out of darkness, made this light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Friends, blindness takes a form of outright rejection of Christ and of His gospel. People who want to have nothing to do with God, they have their own beliefs and they would rather follow their own thought-out light. On the way from Sacramento last weekend, I met with a guy who was sitting next to me. I tried to call, talk to him about, about the gospel. And he's not, he was not interested. He, he knew about religion. He knew about the church. His wife had been religious in her earlier life. But he and his wife at this point had nothing to do with religion, nor had any interest in it. And he had rather follow his own thoughts about what the light is. People who are blinded because the God of this age has blinded their eyes. Spiritual blindedness. People who want to have nothing to do with religion. But there's another kind of spiritual blindness. Or spiritual blindness takes another form. And this is what's going to surprise you. In chapter 9, spiritual blindness manifests itself in a surprising form. It manifests itself in the form of religious clothing. Yes, spiritual blindness is not only for those who reject religion, but it's also for those who embrace religion apart from the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. Spiritual blindness is not only for those who reject religion, but also for those who embrace religion apart from the light of Jesus Christ. Jesus spoke these words specifically to Jewish spiritual leaders. They boasted in the law which God gave to Moses as if the law was contrary to Jesus. This was what they said in verse 28. We are disciples of Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't know where he comes from. These Pharisees were very zealous, extremely committed to their religious systems. But friends, zeal, even religious zeal, cannot protect against spiritual blindness. People can become very committed religiously, even though they're blind. Zeal alone neither protects us from spiritual blindness nor makes up for it. No one will say to God, God, I may have believed the wrong thing, but at least I was committed to what I believed. Some people think that that will be a pass they can bring with God and God will, will allow them. If God were to accept that answer, then the Pharisees would also get a passing mark on their eye exam. But they don't. They didn't. Jesus corrects their views of the law. In chapter 5, Jesus told the Pharisees that Moses wrote about Christ and the entire law and the prophets pony to the need for Christ. The problem of these Pharisees was not their commitment to the Old Testament and the law of Moses, but their misinterpretation of the law and the prophets. Even though they had the revelation from God, they interpreted it wrongly, not seeing how it pointed to Christ. Let's just take one example. 
there are many we could take this morning, but just one. In Isaiah chapter 35, verses 3 to 5, here's what we read. God speaks to this prophet and says, Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance. With divine retribution, He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened. What a promise of the future messianic age. In the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah describes how God will restore His people and one of the first signs of that restoration will be then will the eyes of the blind be opened. It was in the Old Testament, but the Pharisees didn't see it. They couldn't see the fact that Jesus healing a blind man, it actually, in that service, in that act, God was actually fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies. Their problem was not a commitment to the Old Testament, but a misreading of it. They were more confident in their way of interpreting Scripture rather than let Scripture modify their own views and interpretations. Of these people, the saying in Proverbs 26.12 is true. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. That's why the title of the sermon is when seeing is a liability. In most life experiences, to have the confidence of seeing clearly is a very positive thing. But when it comes to the spiritual realm, confidence in our ability to see is actually a liability. We instead are called to acknowledge our inability to see by ourselves and ask God to give us a light as revealed to Christ to see both ourselves and God and the church. Friends, religious people are not protected from developing blindness. That's what chapter 9 teaches us. Religious people are not protected from the disease of developing blindness. If these religious Jews felt, felt deeply in it, we too can. That's why one of the practical things we can do is to remind ourselves that we too can be blinded. We too can cling to certain interpretations of Scripture that simply suit our preferences. We too can approach Scripture with our minds made up. And we're reading for verses that only prove our view instead of allowing the whole of Scripture to mold us and shape us. It is when we take a strong, confident stand that we can never be blinded that we are actually in the greatest danger of falling into it. But spiritual blindness takes not only the form of religious commitment, it also takes a form of the fear of man. Notice with me, Someone else in this chapter was in danger of spiritual blindness. Although in a more subtle way. It's the parents of the blind man. When the Pharisees asked the parents to affirm whether this man was their son, and if he had been born blind, they say in verse 20, We know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know that he was born blind. But how 
he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. Now listen to what verse 22 says, because this is crucial. John gives a very important explanation why the parents gave this answer. Verse 22, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was a Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That is why his parents said, he's of age. Ask him. Whoa. The parents of this man, even though they had seen, and I want you to imagine these parents, they have seen and heard about the power of Jesus to heal not just blindness, but to heal the blindness of their own son, who had been blind since birth. For these parents, the fear of the Jews was stronger than the power of Christ. To see the power of God and yet to fail to side with Him because of the fear of man, this is another form of spiritual blindness. In that moment, these parents thought the Jews were more powerful than Christ. And they thought that saving their membership in the synagogue was more important than testifying to the power of Jesus to give sight to their own son who had been blind from birth. Oh, how deep the blindness of our eyes is. We see people bigger than God. We fear people more than we fear God. We're controlled by what people say or do more than what God says about us. Some people may think that I am too harsh on these parents. Don't just don't say they're blind. They're not. Well, here's why I don't think I am too harsh on these parents. Jesus, elsewhere, in another gospel, in the gospel of Luke, chapter 12, says the following. I tell you the truth. Whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But he who disowns me before men will be disowned before the angels of God. Friends, the fear of man is alive and well today, running our lives in ways we don't even realize. We're blinded to it. It takes so many forms. It includes more than just fearing persecution. It extends to holding someone in such an awe that we are controlled or mastered by them, worshiping other people, putting our trust in other people, or needing other people to find our self-worth. The fear of man takes many forms, and it blinds us. We're blinded to it. And by the way, if you want to know more about how the fear of man blinds our eyes and how we need to get rid of it and, and see, I want to recommend to you strongly a book that we have here on the slat wall entitled, When People Are Big and God is Small. When People Are Big and God is Small by Ed Welch. It is when we are more afraid of what others will say. Perhaps it's at work. You don't want to know. You don't want your colleagues to know that you're a Christian. You don't want, you don't want them to see that you're carrying a Bible with you around so that you can read it on your, on your breaks. And when somebody makes fun of Christianity or Christ, you don't speak up. You would rather be quiet because you don't want others to know and sort of put you on a side. 
The fear of man blinds our eyes, dear friends. That's, these are the surprising forms of blindness. It's not only the outward rejection of religion. Spiritual blindness can take the form of spiritual commitment when it's misguided. Spiritual blindness can take the form of the fear of man. But what heals our blindness? How can our blindness be healed? I'd like to look at the last point of our, of, our, of our sermon this morning, the surprising cure for the spiritual blindness. And the answer is simple. It's Jesus. Jesus cures us of our spiritual blindness. But what exactly does that mean? How exactly does it take place? Even though the answer is simple, the way Jesus cures us might surprise you. And here's how. There's a few steps to it. In our text, the healing from spiritual blindness meant, first and foremost, accepting the light of Christ. And that light was everything that Jesus claimed about himself, about his identity, about his mission, and about his teaching. All of that is his light. The identity of Jesus was the most debated issue between the Pharisees and the man who was healed. Verse 32. It's clear that the the issue was, is this man from God or is he a sinner? It's not enough, however, simply to hold to a general idea that Jesus is from God. When Jesus meets a blind man who is now healed, he asks him a question. And the first question is in verse 35. Do you believe in the Son of Man? In other words, Jesus wanted this blind man not just to have a commitment. He was already committed. He was willing to have his life put on the line and be kicked out of the synagogue. He was already committed. But now Jesus refines the object of his commitment to make sure he understands who Jesus is. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Jesus wants this man to have a specific, deliberate knowledge of who Jesus is, a personal knowledge of this Jesus. And the the man says, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. This is how spiritual blindness is healed when we see the light of Christ, the identity of Jesus, that Jesus was the Son of Man who came to do for us and, and to, to do what we could have not done for ourselves. When this man realizes this is Jesus or Jesus is this man, he says, I do believe and worship. But then there's a second part to this knowledge of the identity of Jesus. And the second part is this. The identity of Jesus as Son of Man reveals to us not only who He is, but also who we are. We cannot accept the identity of Jesus truly without also accepting a new view of ourselves, His view of ourselves. And this is why it's important in, what's important in healing our spiritual blindness. Jesus could have asked this man, do you believe in the Son of God? Or do you believe in me? Or do you believe I am the Lamb of God? And if, if he had asked any of these questions, they would have been good questions. But yet Jesus asks the question, do you believe in the Son of Man? Why this question? Because the label Son of Man in the Gospel of John has a very important definition or meaning related to our blindness. In the Gospel of John, the label Son of Man is connected to the role of judgment. Look with me to verse 39. As soon as Jesus says, talks about himself, 
as being the Son of Man? Jesus says in verse 39, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Now, friends, put this message on a Christmas card this year and see what kind of reactions you'll get. For this reason, I have come into the world for judgment so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. We don't like to think of this as a purpose of Jesus coming to earth. He came to bring salvation, and He did. And yet, dear friends, in the Old Testament, God's salvation and judgments always traveled together. God's salvation and judgment always traveled together. I love what one theologian said. This is a paradox of revelation, that in order to bring grace, it must also give an offense, and so can turn to judgment. In order to be grace, it must uncover sin. And he who resists this blinds himself to his sin. Friends, the grace of Jesus came to bring to us first a condemnation. Because it reveals to us our true condition. Jesus came to reveal our darkness and our blindness. And only when we see ourselves as we truly are, as He sees us, can we cry out to Him for help, for His transformation, because for the first time we realize how blind we have been, so blind that we have not realized our own blindness. This is how Jesus comes and cures us of our spiritual blindness. His grace helps us come to grips with our blindness. And this involves the message that God judges our sin. God cannot ignore it. And even if we don't experience the judgment now, a day will come when He will execute universal judgment. But on that day, dear friends, it will be too late to deal with our sin and blindness. No more healings. No more mercy. Christ came to save us from the very judgment He came to declare against our blindness. That's why He came as a Son of Man, for judgment. That's why the news about Jesus has the ability of reversing the human condition so that the blind will see and those who will see will become blind. Oh, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would convict our hearts to see ourselves as we truly are, not according to our standards, but according to God's own revelation of Himself. And friends, even those who have accepted Christ in their hearts we can fall in, in various degrees of blindness in various aspects of our lives. I love what John Calvin, the great reformer, said. We cannot seriously aspire to Him before we begin to become displeased with ourselves. Again, he says, It is certain that man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he has first looked upon God's face and then descends from contemplating Him to scrutinize Himself. For we always seem to ourselves righteous and upright and wise and holy. This is pride innate in all of us. For because all of us are inclined by nature to hypocrisy, a kind of empty image of righteousness in place of righteousness itself abundantly satisfies us. 
Then he goes on and says, as a consequence, we must infer that man is never sufficiently touched and affected by the awareness of his lowly state until he has compared himself with God's majesty. We think we can see. We think we see ourselves as we truly are until we compare ourselves with God's majesty. When the light of Christ shines on us, it makes our greatest deeds appear dark in comparison with His light. Friends, trusting in the identity of Christ as a light means that we relinquish the idea that we know better, that we can govern ourselves better, or that we can see better. We respond by crying out to Him constantly for His light. And we develop a humble and joyful submission to God's ways, to His revelation, because He, not us, is a light. Friend, if you're not a Christ follower this morning, the message you have heard from chapter 9 of John is a bitter, sweet message. It's bitter because it confronts you with your own blindness, which you may have not known that you had when you came in this morning. But let this message sink in. And also look to Christ who promised to give you sight if you recognize your blindness. You can do that even right now as you hear these words and can call out to God for mercy as a sinner and ask Him to give you His light so that you may see. And when you have done this, tell someone what Christ has done for you. If you're a Christ follower, we too can fall into spiritual blindness. And the way we protect ourselves against it is by being aware of it, one, and by letting Scripture always reform our views of God and of ourselves. That's why, friends, everything we do here at Park Hills, we want to examine in light of Scripture. We want to allow Scripture to continually change us because we recognize that left to ourselves, we develop blind spots. Another way to protect against spiritual blindness is to have others keep us accountable of how we follow Scripture. We may think we follow Scripture, but it's until somebody actually says, yes, but I'm not sure how exactly what you mean by this. This is what Scripture says, and I don't see this in your life. Until someone confronts us with this Scripture and with the light of Christ, we may not see our own blind spots. We need another one, another person we need one another to challenge us in our sin by pointing us to God's Word. We do this one-on-one, and we do this as a church body. That is why we engage in church discipline. Because by ourselves, we have the potential for developing spiritual blindness and confronting sin either one-on-one or as a whole church is the way we protect ourselves and one another from developing spiritual blindness and ensuring that we follow the light of Christ. This is how the Lord prescribed the treatment against spiritual blindness in Matthew chapter 18. How amazing, dear friends, the grace of God, the grace of Jesus is to give us so many ways of ensuring that we will not fall back in spiritual blindness. We have looked this morning at the theme of when seeing is a liability. Are you boasting? you can see on your own, by yourself? Is your life this morning characterized by this kind of 
superiority. Oh, I don't need this. I am pretty good by myself. I can handle it. Friends, you can't. Let the life of Jesus shine again. And I pray that God will heal our illusions that we can see clearly apart from Him and apart from the grace of living the Christian life in the community of the saints who constantly pursue the light of Christ shining in their midst. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that Jesus has come to be the light for us. And He's not just a light outside of us. He's not just a philosophical idea of the light. He is that power that turns those who cannot see and gives them sight to see. Oh Lord, we pray, would you continually give us that sight so that we may see ourselves as you see us and that we may see you as you revealed yourself to us. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.